This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. The Dirt with me, Mike Howell, an economics podcast where I present the down and dirty agronomic science to help grow crops and bottom lines. Inspired by economics.com, farming's go-to informational resource, I'm here to break down the latest crop nutrition research, news, and issues, helping farmers make better business decisions through actionable insights. Let's dig in. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East, and I'm speaking today with Carol Ann Patterson of the Diverse Field Crops Cluster. Could you tell us a little bit about the Diverse Field Crops Cluster? Certainly. The Diverse Field Crops Cluster, I guess, is one of 19 research clusters funded through the Canadian Agricultural Partnership Program, which is basically, uh, you know, led by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And so it's a five-year program. It's gone from April 1st, 2018 to March 31st, 2023. And from a lead perspective, AgWest Bio is basically the administrator of the Diverse Field Crop Cluster here in Saskatchewan. Okay. And you came into the project through that connection with AgWest Bio, yes? Correct. Yeah, I'm on contract with AgWest Bio. I'm the program manager for the Diverse Field Crop Cluster. So it's almost come to a close it is. You know, we've got six weeks left of the program. So, yeah, we're going to be getting into the last few weeks of research reporting and, of course, the financial administration of the program itself. Excellent. And I was a little misleading earlier because we have a bit of a party room today. We have three other folks on the call, and I'll just ask them to introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Carlene Sarvis with Smart Earth Camelina Corp. I'm the production lead here at Smart Earth, and I work hand-in-hand mostly in Saskatchewan with producers, the proper practice for growing camelina production. Hi, it's Jeff Kostick here. I'm the general manager of a hemp seed uh, company called Verve Seed Solutions. But my association, I guess, with the DFCC is I am also a director on the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, and I chair the Minor Use Committee and also the National Variety Trials and the Research Agronomy Committee. So that's my association. Hi, I'm Rick Mitzel. I'm the Executive Director of Sask Mustard Development Commission and the CEO of Mustard 21. Thank you all for joining us. So as the name would belie, the Diverse Field Crops Cluster tends to deal with crops that are outside of your typical canola, wheat, soybean crops. So what is the mandate of the DFCC and what projects have you focused on? That's a good question, Alex. So I guess the real thing um, to recognize is that, you know, DFCC is comprised of research on eight special crops. So it it runs a a wide gamut of crops that people may or may not have heard of, or they've heard of in passing. So the research focuses on canary seed, camelina, flax, hemp, quinoa, confection sunflower, and then I'm going to call it, Rick, from, from your perspective, the brassicas. So there's three mustards. There's the yellow, the brown, the oriental, and then an industrial crop called carinata, which is aiming for the biofuel market. So, you know, really the research is to support these special crops, help them not to find markets, but gather the data so that they can get to market. And I guess really and truly is, is to help producers provide them with 
options for, for crop rotation so that they really contribute to sustainable agriculture right across Canada, prairies right into the east. Okay, so this is a national project then? It is a national project. Well, most of the crops are focused in Western Canada. You know, you've got hemp, camelina growing in Eastern Canada and into the Atlantic provinces as well, and as far north as, as you know, Northern BC. So as the name implies, it's quite a diverse crop and focused on a number of different areas from a research perspective based on the needs of the crop. Okay. And that's why we have specialists for the individual crops as opposed to kind of one overarching research body. Yeah. And and that's why what we call our crop sector members, you know, representatives of each of those crops is involved in the cluster and they provide the expertise that's needed to grow the crop in terms of research procedures and profiles, but also because they talk with producers and provide that information back to producers. So the producers work with the best management practices for each of the crops. Is grower extension or grower outreach a part of the program, or is that something that has simply kind of grown out of the project? No, it's always been a part of the program. It's part of the crop sector members' responsibilities. I mean, what they do and how they relate to the producers is a very important part of what they do. And it also contributes to what's called the knowledge technology transfer within the cluster itself. So it goes part and parcel. What they find out as part of the research gets conveyed to producers, through producer groups, field days, a number of different venues. Who is responsible for bringing the group together, I guess? It came out of, I think, came out of the Canadian Special Crops Association meetings way back in 2016, 2017, where they recognized that the Canadian special crops, the smaller crops like flax, like canary seed, like hemp, they really don't have the financial resources to really support the type of research that they need to compete with the larger crops, but also to get new varieties out to market. So it kind of came from that body and then incorporated, you know, camelina, quinoa and all the other crops. So these seven or eight crops are the ones that came together in 2017 to put the application in to the CAP program, which is the Canadian Agricultural Partnership Program, which it was called at that time. How did you come to this project? A Smart Earth Camelina has always had a very close relationship with Agriculture Canada, Agri-Food Canada. So very easily we came right to the table to be a part of this program so we can keep our connection with Agriculture Canada. Yep. Yeah. My background is uh, as a provincial specialist, hemp specialist in Manitoba. So we've always had a close association also with Ag Canada on different projects and different project needs. But really through the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, when there was uh, is identified that a need was there for some further research and to try to assist farmers. But of course, funding was a necessary part of that. And yeah, that's how we got associated with the DFCC. Rick, do you have anything to add? Sure, you bet. The association goes back for quite a few years with Agriculture Canada and, and SAS Mustard. Agriculture Canada has been doing the breeding for mustard for quite a few years now. So it was kind of a natural fit for us because then we had some ideas and some uh, roads that we wanted to go down with mustard. And so working with Agriculture Canada and, and getting in on the DFCC was a natural fit for us. Excellent. Will the DFCC... Has it applied for additional funding or is its a term ending and that's what it is? Well, under CAP, the, mm-hmm. this current program as it stands is, is finishing. And the DFCC has applied 
for another program within Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada called the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, or, or SCAP, as it's being called. So DFCC has put in another program application for research. It went in just before Christmas, and we're hoping we're successful and that we hear in early to mid-spring so that all our crops can get into the ground for this growing season. I mean, that's really the, the sensitivity of time that we're looking for. But we've got the same, the only two crops that are not participating in the next round are canary seed and quinoa. But we do have the five of the seven crops moving forward. So it's uh, quite a robust research program that we've put together and will, you know, enable producers, I think, to have more valuable information come out of it. Excellent. I'd say let's come back to discussing more about the research later. But first, let's introduce our crops a little bit. Let's start with Rick. Tell us about mustard. Why would a producer want to grow mustard or why should they? Sure. Yeah, you bet. The benefit to a producer for growing mustard is if you, if you get down into the southwest corner of Saskatchewan and the southeast corner of, of Alberta, it's kind of a more arid, dry area. And it's hard to grow canola down there. So a lot of growers use mustard as their oil seed in their rotation in, in that area. And that's probably the major benefit. Now, we do have growers all over the province that are growing mustard, but that is definitely the higher concentration down in the southwest corner of Saskatchewan, southeast corner of Alberta. Okay. For mustard, it's probably the most obvious, but what are the main markets or uses for the harvested product? There's a couple of different markets. The brown mustard, for the most part, goes to Europe, and that's for condiment mustard, of course. Yellow mustard, a good portion of it goes into the U.S. for a condiment market as well. Now, it would be like the big users are the football stadiums and ball stadiums or some of the big consumers. And then the oriental mustard goes over to Asia and, again, used for, for a condiment mustard there as well. Okay. Are there any major pest and disease challenges facing this crop? Like, uh, is club root a concern? Yeah. In terms of uh, some of the pests, you bet. We're working on club root right now to develop the resistance. We're getting close on it, but not quite there yet. But obviously, as the canola acres increase, it's, it does spread the uh, club root acres as well. So we have to be cognizant of that. And we don't want to get caught without without something to combat it. Flea beetles have been a pest as well, which we didn't really expect a few years ago, but they've become a, a big one. And uh, we're also working on uh, sclerotinia tolerance as well on the, on the disease side. And weed control is always a bit of an issue in, in mustard. We're working on uh, group two tolerance for mustard, so uh, uh, be a herbicide, a non-GMO herbicide tolerant program. So everything we do is non-GMO. Are there any particular agronomic concerns growers should be aware of before planting mustard? Yeah, we recommend that they have a five-year rotation between canola and mustard, just to make sure there's no volunteers in there. You can get contamination, and you can have a very disappointed grower if he's going to go to haul his grain to market and it's not accepted because there's canola in it. So that's that's the big one. Second of all would be the uh, fertility package. If you're growing the hybrid mustards and the, and the new uh, composite that we have, we'd recommend that you fertilize similar to that of canola because we've done the testing now and found that both varieties respond quite nicely to high fertility, especially under high moisture. So uh, those would be the two, two key ones. Excellent. And if a grower is interested in learning more about the mustards that you've covered, where can they find more information or who should they ask? There's three different avenues that could go down. On our Sask Mustard Development Commission website, we've got a production manual. So growers can go on there and read about everything from uh, fertility to seeding rates to weed control. 
So what's on there, we work with the uh, Saskatchewan government, provincial oil seed specialists to develop that manual. They can call our line. We've got a call number they can call in. And I answer. I do uh, quite a bit of agronomic answering for questions during the year. And the other one is the uh, provincial oil seed specialist in Regina, which is Corey Jacob. And he's always available for helping people out on agronomy issues as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Carlene, tell us a little bit about Camelina. So yeah, Camelina is an oil seed part of the mustard family. So a lot of what Rick said is very prudent to Camelina as well. It's actually an ancient crop extending back to prehistoric times. Many years ago, it was uh, grown extensively in southeastern parts of Europe and southwestern Asia, where it was used for various applications like it was involved in the human diet, cooking oil, massage oil, and lamp fuel. So it's quite a versatile crop too. It has both spring and winter varieties. Since 2005, Smart Earth has concentrated on our breeding efforts on the spring Camelina genotypes. But recently in 2020, we broadened our breeding program to incorporate the winter Camelina. So early winter Camelina evaluations have shown that we can demonstrate that the genotypes successfully overwinter and survive our harsh Canadian provinces winters. So that's going to be really exciting to have a true winter oil seed that can overwinter in, in Saskatchewan here and the provinces. So what benefits would Camelina bring to a producer's operation? So Camelina is considered a short season crop. So it has a maturity from seeding to maturity to 85 to 100 days. So that's typically 10 days shorter than canola. So that's a very good benefit for there. It, Camelina also has a very good frost tolerance in the seedling stage and also exhibits good drought tolerance in the established plant. So a little less water use than some of your higher yielding brassicas. So it, it performs well on your kind of in what Rick was mentioning for the mustard area. So it produces well down in the southwest corner of Saskatchewan as well because it's typically drier down there and therefore more drought prone. So where you can't get a high yielding canola, then that would target that area as well for getting a stronger yield on your your camelinas. We also have, you know, to date, we have natural resistance to flea beetles. So that's really encouraging to producers that are trying to break flea beetle pressure. Camelina also has natural resistance to black plague and alternaria black spot. So that helps if there's any of those disease pressures. It takes a relatively lower fertilizer requirements. So you can get away with 60 to 70 pounds of actual N. So that was a little bit easier when those fertilizer prices are staying up there. <laughs> for some It also has really good shatter resistance, so it can be straight cut as well. So a lot of great agronomic benefits to growing Camelina for sure. Excellent. What would you say are the main markets or uses for the harvested product? Smart Earth actually does a lot of marketing for a pet supplement is a high omega-3 supplement for your pets. So for both horse and dog owners, you can also see the large oil in, you can use it in aquaculture markets. So for farm fish diets and also in more, a larger interest just growing in the biofuel sector too, is using Camelina as a feedstock in that sector. And the meal, of course, can be used in the poultry industry for both broilers and layers. 
Nice. Given that it's similar kind of to canola and mustard, does it have similar disease and pest challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Early on, like with some of the early conventional camelinas, downy mildew pressure was, it can be very problematic through efforts with Agriculture Canada and ourselves. We've found varieties or cultivars that have very good resistance to downy mildew. So of course, our whole breeding program has included that germplasm and therefore all of our ongoing varieties have very good resistance to downy mildew. So that's helped in our program for sure. Um, couple other ones that you have to keep on your radar are sclerotinia and of course club root being part of the mustard family. So we also working on that to trying to find better varieties with sclerotinia resistance for sure. And if growers are le- interested in learning more, where can they find more information? So our company definitely has opportunities for growers for production contracts and I'm always here to help everybody with any kind of agronomic for camelina production. So they can definitely get a hold of Smarter and myself, Carlene Sarvis. And, you know, of also, of course, the Saskatchewan government has the oilseed specialists for that too. Perfect. Thank you. Next farmer. Next producer. Next rancher. Next generation. You're ready to find your place in the Canadian agriculture industry and Farm Credit Canada is here to help. We'll finance your operation, offer transition planning and provide learning and advisory services. Join our events and peer groups so you can network with other young producers like you. Get ready for what's next. Talk with Farm Credit Canada or visit fcc.ca slash nextgen. And last but not least, Jeff, could you please tell us about hemp? Sure thing, yeah. So hemp is an old new crop, you could call it. Hemp's been around for years, but has, I guess, time flies, but the most, uh, I say, short introduction. But in 1998 is when it was reintroduced or re-deregulated to be grown in Canada once again. So in that respect, it it is fairly new. Breeding programs are trying to catch up, I guess, with sort of the needs of the industry right now. Initially, when we first started, we brought in a lot of varieties from Eastern Europe. And and at that point in time, they were mostly focused on the fiber aspect of hemp. However, when we decided that we wanted to take advantage of the nutritional value of the seed, we found that those tall varieties were a little problematic in harvesting when there's 14 to 16 foot tall plant and trying to put that through a combine. So that's when it was introduced. So yeah, I mean, the breeding programs are catching up. The industry is is starting to to move forward in a very large way. So what would be a benefit of hemp for a producer's operation? Yeah. So anytime you can add another crop into the rotation, there's always a benefit. So you're, you're disrupting insect life expectancies, I guess, and uh, weed spectrums, etc. The main thing with hemp, where I find it as an advantage is it's not a crop that needs to be seeded early, where most of our other crops on the prairies, we're always fighting to get them in as quickly as possible. Hemp is a photoperiod sensitive crop, meaning that it will start to send out its reproductive parts once it determines that the days are starting to get shorter, so summer solstice. So once that happens, that's when hemp starts to go into its reproductive state, meaning that you can seed it at the end of May into the first two weeks of June even, sort of breaking up that busy seeding time. Also, if farmers are challenged with either wet conditions or dry conditions, you can kind of wait and see if what's on the horizon, I guess. So particularly on those wet years, if we have a wet May or June, 
May in particular, as things start to clear up in June, you can still plant hemp and expect to get a, a very decent crop at the end of the year. Excellent. What are the major pest and disease challenges faced by hemp in Canada? There's a number of things, and and I guess a pet peeve of mine is is looking on on uh, the University of Google, I call it. So there's a, a lot of claims where hemp doesn't have any pests and it can grow on you know low fertile soils or anything, which is completely not true. So it Hemp is a bit of a baby to get established, so you do want to put it on some of the better land. It does like its nutrients, and uh, certainly it'll grow just like any other crop, if not fertilized. But to take advantage of it, you, you certainly need to fertilize effectively and efficiently for the crop. There's a few things that we're kind of looking at. It is a host of sclerotinia, but we haven't seen an infection rate near economic thresholds yet. There's also some insect issues where it does like to eat the foliage, but there's so much biomass that the hemp plant creates that a lot of times, you know, let's say grasshoppers will eat the leaves and then just kind of hop away happy. So we're still, it's not huge in the rotations yet. So we're not seeing major agronomic issues other than perhaps say cutworms that like hemp, just like any other of the crops that have been mentioned. So Basically, we're trying to work on those economic thresholds also uh, as the industry moves forward. Sounds good. If the tall varieties are that tall, what's a typical variety that you would see in the fields these days? Well, there's a there's a few different markets for hemp. So there's we call it food, fractions, and fiber. Food is where hemp gained its traction in Canada and is considered the world lead in producing high-quality food-grade hemp products, such as hauled hemp hearts or hemp hearts that you would just, it's just a raw product that gets sprinkled on as an additive into cereals or or yogurt or added into smoothies. Cold-pressed hemp oil is the other product. It's more of a culinary type oil, like an olive oil, not a, doesn't have a high smoke point, so it's more for salad dressings. And then the meal left over from that can be sifted and made into protein powders. So Protein with the advancements in plant-based proteins and the industry as a whole, that's been an attractive avenue, I guess, also for hemp. Now, on the fiber side, we're starting to see more traction over the last couple of years on fiber. And Alberta, in particular, has taken a lead role in two or three new processing plants for fiber. comes with the same sort of logistical challenges that you kind of have to have that growing region right near the plant because we start shipping bales any length or distance it starts to eat into margins but i mean i think most people are aware that there are thousands and thousands of uses for hemp for fiber whether it's for ropes sales early on is what it was used for but now non-woven matting in car parts biocomposites uh, so it's a it's an emerging market also and then finally on the fraction side we call that basically the cannabinoid aspect. So the flower itself, so the, the plants that are used for the fraction are feminized plants. So it's, it's it's a different plant type or plant structure grown in a different style. So more of a, we call it like an orchard style. So there's a number of processors in Canada that are looking at extracting different cannabinoids from hemp. If people are unsure what cannabinoids are, the most, I guess, popular one that people would understand is probably THC or Delta-9 in marijuana, which hemp has to have less than 0.3%. So that's the distinguishing factor between the two. Other cannabinoids such as CBD and CBG currently are undergoing a lot of research and clinical testing to see the advantages for human health for that. It's a crop that we can use full plant utilization 
and those markets are starting to evolve. But again, it's really been the food aspect that has driven the market in Canada thus far. Are there any particular agronomic considerations growers should know before planting hemp? Yeah, the big one, of, as I mentioned, was the ability to seed later. It is a bit of a fussy crop. So, it, you know, I find that new growers, it takes about three years to learn to grow the crop. They really need to sort of align themselves with someone that has either grown before or is a specialist that can provide them sort of that agronomy support. Harvesting, again, there's there's no hemp settings on any of the new combines. And so you have to understand what the seed size is. And again, having somebody guide you or assist you with that. And then the final thing is really during harvest management. And because many of the products are a raw food product, it has to be handled very, I would say, not going to say, well, delicately too, because it has the seed coat is, is extremely sensitive to any cracking. So you want to make sure you handle it. But aside from that, we're harvesting the crop at a much higher moisture. So we need to make sure that we can lower that moisture so that we don't run into any sort of microbiological issues. And so, again, assistance in learning the proper way to handle it prior to it going into the processor is, is an important aspect to know. And if a grower is interested in learning more about hemp, where can they find the information? Yeah, uh, similar to the other commodities, uh, the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance does have an e-guide that will assist sort of the basics as far as seeding depth rates, etc. for each of the different industries, as I mentioned, or revenue streams. Most of the large companies or most of the companies, if not all of the companies, will have obviously an agronomist on board. Myself for Verve Seeds, I've been growing it for 20 plus years, so it's important to find someone that you can trust and have that relationship with. Yeah, the CHTA and then each of the individual companies. And it's always recommended. It's a crop that doesn't really have an open market per se. There's a lot of contracts that probably should be utilized for production prior to seeding to make sure that you have a home for your product at the end of the day. Excellent. So what do you see as the most important or an important impact of the research conducted by the cluster? DSEC really had three research themes. They had a variety development, they had an agronomic theme, and then they had a value-added theme. So when I look back at variety development in the last five years, you know, what comes to light is the success of each of the crops in producing varieties for producers. And, you know, Mustard and Rick's group is a key example where they've provided hybrids and composites to the producers that have increased what is it yield for the browns like 20 to 30 percent rick and for the yellows 10 percent which is yield increases that haven't been seen in the mustard industry for like 20 30 years so significant impact of whole uh, body of agricultural funding and i have to indicate that with mustard it's a 12-year program like they had funding from ag canada in two previous programs so it's not that this program resulted in it, it's the culmination, you know, of 10 to 12, 13 years of research that right now is coming to fruition. You know, variety development, we don't have a crop here being represented, but quinoa has been working a lot on getting varieties of quinoa adapted to the Canadian environment. And so they've been successful in doing that. And in this research program have identified specific varieties with very unique functionalities that can be directed to very specific food applications. So that was something that they didn't expect. And I think, you know, we'll see it going forward that there'll be some real opportunities 
from a, an agronomic perspective, I'm going to relate back to, to Jeff's program and the variety trials, but, you know, the best management practices that have come out for the for the fiber, for the dual and for the grain varieties. Like, you know, all that package of information is valuable for producers. And then I'm just going to go to a value added perspective, a crop that's not here today, but is canary seed, hairless canary seed, because bird seed canary seed you have fine glabrous hairs on it. Pierre Huckle of the University of Saskatchewan developed a hairless variety, which got novel food approval in 2016. And so this CAP program was instrumental in providing more information from a sensory perspective and a functional attribute perspective for the food ingredient market. And then I guess the other value added is mustard protein and fiber is something that was looked at in this program, not there at the marketplace, but that information can be used to further its advantages going into the market. Camelina for regulatory approval into the into the companion animal and into the states. And then also hemp, a key project from a value added perspective was getting that data package or the data collected to enable regulatory approval downstream. So there's been some really good successes out of the program, and we're hoping that we can further those successes in, in the next program that we've applied for. Excellent. I'll just add a little bit too. I think putting on, I farm also in the Russell area here, uh, putting on my farmer hat and my my government hat that I used to wear, I think it's appreciated by by farmers to have that third-party testing completed. It provides them, obviously, you know, as a company also, we do our own in-house performance testing that we we supply. But I think with regards to a farmer's confidence, when it comes from a third party, that just why is even that much more. There's no skin in the game for the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance on any particular variety. And so it's it's a real benefit in that sense to provide that data and the ability to be able to go across Canada. So we've had trials right from one coast to the next as interest, again, is is uh, increasing in the crop. So that's one of the major benefits that I think we, as a farmer, I would say, I would see. Yeah, and for Smart Earth and Camelina in general, it's a very new crop to like modern breeding technologies. So like taking an old crop and trying to bring better agronomics to a crop that hasn't had any of that technology brought to it, that I think you can really improve a lot of growing benefits for Canadian and beyond growers with our varieties and keeping it relevant to the producer and adding things like increased seed size, keeping the high oil content, disease, pests, all those kind of things into the crop. That's crucial to our crop's success. So I think that under the DFCC, along with Egg Canada, keeping that focus of a strong pipeline of good genetics is essential for crops, for sure. Anything you'd like to add, Rick? Yeah, I think I'll just add a couple things. Uh, you know, Carol Ann's point, you know, with the yield increase that we got from going through the, the programs, our uh, composite, we were looking at about 10% increase in yield and on our hybrid about 20. So like Carol Ann said, that's pretty unheard of. When you go from one generation to the next the other thing it's done is it's helping uh on the processing side too because now we can we can define the needs of the processors and find out what it is they're looking for they like a, a consistent seed size and a large seed size so that uh, that helps us now going forward to uh to breed in that direction as well and then that that makes the mustard industry in canada that much more successful as well 
Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.